It's an honor to be here with you today, especially talking about the topic that we're talking about. I'm really excited about this. We've been in a series called One, and the whole heartbeat behind this series is that I mean, we can all agree there's a lot of divisiveness going on. There's a lot of uh, polarizing thoughts and ideas and ideologies happening around us. We thought it'd be a great time as a Mercy Road family of churches to, to, to talk about and communicate the things that, that center us, that really help all of us to, the things we can agree on, right? The things that we all say, yes, those are tenets of what it looks like to be a part of this family of churches. And so we've been walking through core values and, uh, and, and it's, been, it's been phenomenal. Today we're going to talk about intentional mission, intentional mission, one of the core values of Mercy Road Church, no matter where you go, which by the way, over the past two years, we've started like four churches in four different locations, which has been awesome. So people are all over in different corners of the city and everywhere you go, you're going to find that in the ethos of it, the heartbeat of it, that we want to put you on intentional mission. And uh, so we're going to talk about that, that today. Um, I want to start out with this, and you're going to have to be really clear. You're going to have to speak really loudly because I'm going to have everybody yell this out to me. I want you to yell out your first car. What was your first car you drove? Mazda. All right, come on, what? Infinity. Say it again. Stratus, right? What else? Camaro, 57 Chevy. That's like that iconic first car. That's amazing. I love that, 57 Chevy. Let me tell you my first car, okay? Um, My first car was a Daihatsu Rocky. Don't make fun, okay? Uh, it's like, you know, like a Geo Tracker, you know, or like the CRVs, right? But I thought I was a little bit superior to those folks because the Daihatsu Rocky sits on a truck axle instead of a car axle. So I'm like, oh, I'm way better because it's like a truck axle, you know? It was no better, right? Now, that actually wasn't my very first car. My very first car was um, a 1988 300ZX, white with T-tops. And the first day I got it, I got a ticket going 100 miles an hour, taking my girlfriend back home. And so my dad goes, you can give me those keys. You can no longer be entrusted with this car. And so he gave me this, the Daihatsu Rocky, that when you get it up to 60 miles an hour, it screams at you on the interstate. It's like, it feels like it's going to blow up. Okay. And I I get it. I understand now as a parent, I'm like, that's cool. I totally would have done the same thing. Um, And I'll tell you about this car. This car, it was meh, right? If you made a meme about the car, you just put meh under it. Like, it wasn't terrible. It was, it was fine. Like, it got me where I needed to go. Got me from home to school to baseball practice. It was fine. Like, everything was good. There were some good memories in it, but it was just, honestly, it was just meh. Especially compared to an experience I had two years ago where I was in San Francisco speaking at a church, and uh, this pastor in that church, they had um, several folks who worked high up in Tesla. So we're at this pastor's house, and one of the guys goes, hey, have you ever ridden in a Tesla? And I was like, I haven't. He's like, have you ever driven a Tesla? I said, I haven't. And he goes, well, come on, let's go take, take a ride. I thought he was going to hand me the keys. We get out to the car and I'm like, you know, hey, give me the keys. And he's like, no, you're going to the passenger seat. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I feel kind of stupid. I get in the passenger seat. It doesn't matter if you're driving it or if you're riding in it. It's an unbelievable experience. How many of you guys have ever ridden in a Tesla before? Okay. You hit the gas pedal and it's like zero to 100.2 seconds. It's, I mean, little slight pastor exaggeration, okay? It's unreal though. I mean, you, he got in, we got in, he hits the gas pedal and I'm like, shoot, suction back to the back of the seat. And then my cheeks are like, blah, 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 flapping, you know, like, oh, I'm like pulling G's as we're going. It was unreal. There was some serious power behind this car. And I started thinking about it later. I was comparing like the, the, the Model uh, 3 Tesla and my Daihatsu Rocky and I was thinking, you know what? Most, most American Christians, most believers in America, they're living a Daihatsu Rocky life. 
Come on. And God wants to put you in a Tesla life. He wants to put you in a life that is full of power, that has punch to it, that has impact to it. But many of us are totally fine with just kind of slipping into the, a life that's like, um, meh. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's fine, status quo, mediocre, you know, cool. Like, I'm just going to kind of live the American life. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids, 2.4 of them. I'm going to have a, a dog. I'm going to white picket fence. Everything's fine. I'm just going to kind of go about my day and maybe see if I can climb some kind of a ladder or something like that. But at the end of the day, it's just meh. And what ends up resulting is that many of us live this really hollow, empty life. Can I, can I just tell you, this is what we want to talk about today. Because God has designed you to be on mission to wake up every single day with a kingdom purpose. And I believe that if there's ever any point in your life that you're beginning to feel over an extended period of time hollow or empty or just kind of a shell of yourself, one of the first questions that you need to ask to pull a thread on it is am I waking up on mission? on purpose. Because the reality of this and this whole thing, this like what God is doing in us and through us and in this world is that he, cre- he has created you and I, every one of us, on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. He has never said, oops, my bad, that was an accident. Gabriel, how did that one get off the assembly line? Never happened. You have a unique and distinct design that God's created you to live out, but are you living it? Are you living it? Can you look, can, if we had a conversation today, can you say, yes, Davey, here is, here is why God created me. This is the expression he's called me to live out in this world to make an impact for his kingdom. Most American believers can't tell you that. And that's what we want to talk about. Because what I love about Mercy Road, the family of churches here, is that we don't want something from you. A lot of times you'll go to churches and they'll like ask for things from you. What we want more than anything else is for you to discover your God-given purpose and mission and live that out to make an impact in this world. That's what we want. And that's what we want to talk about today is this idea of intentional mission. My aim for today, if you get nothing else in here, my aim is that you would begin to start asking that question and you begin to go on that journey. What's my purpose in life? What did God create me for? And what does he want me to do in this life? Now this started at the very beginning of time when God created the first man and woman. He created the first man and woman with this special, unique, distinct thing from all of his other creation. Genesis chapter one tells us what that is. Genesis chapter one, starting in verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. This is called the Imago Dei. Say Imago Dei. Imago Dei. It's a very distinct thing he put in humankind that he did not put in anything else, and it is the image of God. It says he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, look at this, and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He told them two things. I want you to fill the earth and have dominion or authority over these things. I'm entrusting you with something. Bottom line, what he said is, I want you to partner with me in the thing that makes God unique, and that is that he is a creator, that he created all these things. And now I'm putting that very creative uh, ethos inside of you called the Imago Dei. Nobody else, nothing else in God's creation can create, but we have been called to partner with him in creating. So he gives us to Adam a purpose, a reason to wake up every single morning. He says, I want you to co-create with me. 
I want you to take these, like, the, the nothingness that's right here, and I want, you to, I want you to work with me to shape this nothingness into something. I want you to take this chaos, and I want you to bring order to it. Wouldn't it be amazing if every single Christian woke up every single morning saying, how can I look at the chaos of this world and partner with God to make order? Come on. Wouldn't that be amazing if God's church woke up and said, how can we take this chaos and partner with God to make order? This is what God does. This is what he's imparted to us. But something fractured this at the beginning of time. It broke the image of God in creation. What was that? Sin. Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve swapped the truth of God's word for a lie, ate of the fruit that God said do not eat from, and it broke this. It broke relationship with God. It broke the Imago Dei. And since that point, God was looking for a way to reconcile. Now, God always had intended this way. He wasn't actually looking for it. But we look at it from our perspective and go, God's looking for a way to reconcile mankind back to him in this partnership. God sends 2,000 years ago Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins to fix all of this, and then he raises from the dead. And then he sends the disciples out after he raised from the dead in Matthew chapter 28 called the great what? Come on, say it again. The great what? The great commission. What does he tell the disciples in the great commission? Go into all the earth, all the world. He tells them the exact same thing as he told Adam. He told Adam, I want you to fill the earth. And then he tells the disciples, the apostles, go into all the earth. What is he telling them to fill the earth with? The Imago Dei. The glory of God. He's saying, would you fill the earth with the glory of God. And this, friends, listen to me. This is the expressed purpose that he has given every single one of us to carry out in a unique and distinct way. He's called you and I to live on a purpose and a mission to fill the earth with the glory of God. And we're gonna talk about kind of how that plays out in each one of our lives here today. Um, years ago, there was a psychologist, his name's Sigmund Freud. You ever heard of Sigmund Freud? One of the things that he asserted was that the, um, the chief aim of man is to avoid pain and pursue pleasure. That's what motivates. That's our drive that motivates us, right? Well, there was a contemporary of Sigmund Freud named Viktor Frankl. Have you heard of Viktor Frankl? He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, and he was a Holocaust survivor. He survived Auschwitz and a couple of other different camps. And out of that surviving Auschwitz, he created a therapy from his observations at Auschwitz and afterwards. He began to observe different people who uh, came out of the concentration camps and they didn't just like survive, they thrived, even though they had gone through some horrific things. And then he also observed people whose life began to look like it was kind of eroding away afterwards because they couldn't handle the trauma that was taking place in their life. And what he said is, okay, Freud says that the chief aim of man is to avoid pain or pursue pleasure. Well, I found some circumstances that don't allow for that, so there's got to be a deeper chief aim of man. There's got to be a deeper motivation behind getting up in the morning and pursuing after something. And what he said was, as he said, purpose was the thing. Purpose propels us. And if there's any point that you have started to feel a little bit empty or hollow or unsatisfied, my assertion today would be that perhaps you're not aligned with the flow of God's purpose in your life. And we want to help you discover that. That's it. We want to help you discover that. There's a guy in scripture. His name's Moses. You ever heard of Moses? He went on kind of a journey to discover his purpose. And I've got three things that we need to kind of observe in his journey. I think that we can apply in our own lives. The first one 
is this, identity. If you're taking notes, write down identity. If you're not taking notes, write down identity, okay? <laughs> identity. Uh, the first time that we see Moses is we see him as a baby, and the Israelites, the people of Israel, God's people, they've been taken into captivity or slavery in Egypt for about 400 years. And God promised a way ahead of time, he said, I'm going to raise up a deliverer to free my people out of Egypt. Now, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, caught wind of this, and he heard kind of in some stirrings that it was going to come through a baby. So he told everybody, okay, listen, he sent out his guard. He said, I want you to kill all the babies. Somehow Moses was able to escape this. His mom and his sister put him in a basket, put him in the Nile River, floated him down the river, and then um, Pharaoh's daughter finds him, pulls him out of the river, and says, I'm going to raise him, brings him into her, her own household, and raises him as an Egyptian. So you've got a Hebrew, one of God's people, being raised as an Egyptian. And when he was about 40 years old, he has this moment where he begins to discover a purpose that God has hardwired into him. This is what it says in Exodus chapter two. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people. Who were his people? The Hebrews, the Israelites. He went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. You see this? Now, we could all agree that's probably was not the best way for him to handle it, right? Okay, you know, like, probably not a good thing. Like, God's people, don't kill somebody, okay? But before we address that, let's look at what did happen right there because it's monumental. There was a catalytic moment in Moses' life where he recognized a purpose God hardwired into him. He looked on this situation and he said, that's not right. That's not right. Somebody's got to do something about it. And something stirred up inside of him that was a holy discontent, this like righteous angst. This, this thing that like, I don't know if you've experienced this before, but it like, man, you think about it when you go to bed at night. You think about it when you wake up in the morning. Kind of makes your mouth salivate. You're like, there is something that I have been built to do, uniquely designed to do, and it's to answer that issue right there that is not right. And Moses had that rise up inside of him. This catalytic purpose-defining moment. But the problem is, is rather than partnering with God to fulfill that purpose in God's ways and in God's timing, he took it into his own hands. And he killed the Egyptian. And he buried him. I think that there are a lot of people in this world right now with everything that's circulating who are looking upon injustices and oppression and all this, and they're going, that's not right, and that's so good. That's not right, that's not right, that's not right. That's how we begin to discover our purpose, friends. And yet, they're not partnering with God to redeem those situations. They're taking it into their own hands, and anytime you and I take things into our own hands, it always leads to destruction. It always leads to more chaos. It always leads to more confusion. And God says, no, 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 listen, I'm hardwiring something into you and I'm asking you to partner with me and we're gonna do something about this. This has been the case since the beginning of time and is very much the case for us right now in the situation that we live in. Our world, friends, our world will not find redemption until the people of God, the church of God, steps up and says we're gonna partner with God and we're gonna take what he has uniquely designed us to do, each one of us individually, and we're going to walk with him in this mission, Right? Moses doesn't, takes it in his own hands. Now, one of the things that we have to look at is that the narrative of what takes place in Moses' life right here 
is it begins to go awry once he decides to take it into his own hands. And him not understanding his identity leads to then the second thing, and that is inactivity. 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 Look what takes place. The very next day, verse 13, he went out. Behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Which, by the way, I find it really ironic that this is put in there because eventually Moses does become prince and judge over the Hebrew people, right? Sometimes it's just really cool to see how God kind of weaves some irony into the whole thing. He says, who made, you, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean, look, do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And look at this, he sat down by a well. And this became, friends, for the next 40 years, essentially Moses' metaphorical posture, sitting down by a well. He became a shepherd on the backside of the wilderness for 40 years, not operating in the God-given purpose because he began to take things into his own hands. And this is what I believe, friends. This state right here is what I believe most American Christians are in. Just inactivity. Just kind of sitting by a well. Whether it's because, listen, whether it's because you've been disenfranchised by this whole thing, which is very valid. You, you've seen some different like weird abuses or you're not sure, you're kind of questioning stuff about God or about, you know, like, I'm just not sure about this. And so you're like, you're not active on mission, on purpose, waking up every day with that, or whether it's because you're just kind of disengaged, or whether, listen, if you're like me and my family, the single greatest inhibitor to us actually waking up on purpose and on mission every day is, just to be honest, is kids. Hello? I got three of them. Seven, six, and 15 months. We just get busy. We've got all kinds of distractions going on, that, and, and those are good things. Like, I mean, our kids, that's high priority, super important. But if our kids become a distraction, or if our work becomes, or our life becomes a distraction that distracts us from mission, and we don't realize that all of those things are for us to kind of assemble into our mission and on our mission and bring things part of our mission, then we're missing it all. You know, the enemy, he would be totally fine with you just being distracted and busy all the time. That's okay with him. He's cool with that. He's not trying to get you to like focus on him. He's actually trying to get you to focus on everything other than him and other than the purpose that God has created you for. Because if he can do that, he can neutralize you. If he can do that, he can get you paralyzed so that you're not being effective for the kingdom. So maybe it's, maybe it's you've been disenfranchised. Maybe you've had some kind of crazy, traumatic thing that has happened in your life. I get it. The organization that we lead is called Nothing is Wasted. And our purpose leading this organization is to intersect people who have gone through some major trauma, tragedy, or major life transition. And to help them partner with God to take back their story. Because there's so many people, maybe you're one of them, who you have gone through something really difficult in life. And now because of it, you feel like that it, it has, the circumstance, whatever, has thwarted the God-given purpose that you had once. And we don't believe that. We believe that's a lie and a ploy from the enemy that he wants to neutralize you. If he can neutralize you, he can paralyze you, and you are no longer effective. And so we want to help you discover 
how God wants to take all of these things, your trials, your tragedies, your trauma, all of that stuff, how he wants to merge it with your, the tools that he's given you to bring you back on purpose. Whatever the reason is, there's so many people, a large collection of the American church, where we are inactive. We are completely, we're just kind of sitting there by the well, on the sidelines, not in the field, not partnering with God. I don't know what it is for you. This is why I love the mission of Mercy Road and the family of churches. Because whatever it is that has caused you to be inactive, our mission is to help you get back on mission. And we do this through one singular thing called outposts. These are missional communities. Pastor Josh and Pastor Greg cut a video to kind of explain to you a little bit further about outposts and how this plays out, how maybe you can fit into one of these as well. So take a look at this. Hey everybody, I'm here with Pastor Greg, who oversees our Outpost Network, our communities on mission all over the city. If you're new to Mercy Road, you may not realize this, our Mercy Road family of churches has over 60 some different communities on mission throughout the city. We see ourselves as an underground network of church. And so if that's new to you, we wanna explain it. We believe that the same Holy Spirit that empowered the early disciples is inside of you as a believer in Christ. And we wanna empower you to live on mission in your community. So. Greg, there's different types of outposts. Explain to us the outpost network and how we'd be a part of it. Sure, we have three types of outposts. We have ministry outposts, which is for folks inside the walls of the church. We have outreach outposts that are for folks outside this world that's desperately needing to hear the good news of Jesus. And then we have micro churches, which is a small spiritual family coming together in community and reaching those far from Jesus. And so inside the walls with our ministries, we have sports, we have men's, women's addiction recovery. Outside, we have those dealing with food insecurities, homeless, uh, single moms, the widows, the kids that are challenged. And then we have these micro churches that are actually a small church, just like an Acts 2 model that meet in homes and uh, have community life. But their goal is to befriend people in their neighborhoods, their businesses, and to draw them into the family and to introduce them to Jesus. I love it. That's, that's church on mission. We are meant to be followers of Jesus living together in community. And, and impacting the city. We actually, you may not realize this, empower people to do that with financial grants, right? They, they can apply for thousands of dollars of grants within their outposts every single year. And in addition to that, that if you're online only right now, and we know it's kind of a crazy year, we, we believe it or not, have thousands of people joining us online every single weekend you can actually get in an outpost online, right? Tell us a little sure. bit about so that. So we started a microchurch online with Zoom calls and uh, we meet in, in as a group together, then we break into Zoom rooms, men with men, women with women. And we had one of the early founders of the church with you, Josh, that was in this Monday night. He said, this is what I've been longing for. I need that community. I need to deal with these deep issues in my heart. I need a trusted, safe group of men and that's gonna provide that. So if you're, haven't been attending and you've been online, we can start a, a micro church Zoom call with you. Um, what I need you to do on your connect cards is to write down, uh, start a, an outpost or join an outpost. We'll follow up with you. Or if you're live here in the services, we'll be at Outpost Central uh, for all three services before and after. And we'll talk to you about how to get engaged, answer questions that you have, and hopefully be that body of Christ on mission, loving those that are far from Jesus. Uh, I'm getting pumped. I know Pastor Rashad is working with you as well on the Outpost Network. 
we have a vision that hundreds of these communities will get started in the next couple of years. And so if you're out there online or you're here in the room in person, uh, talk to Pastor Greg. You can always email us info at mercyroad.cc for any additional questions you might have. But we want you to not live as an isolated Christian. We want you to make the most of your faith in Christ and make an impact with the short time we have on this planet. Let's do it together to live out our twofold mission in community, in our Outpost Network. Thanks for watching. One of the things I love about Mercy Road, what's, what's drawn our family to it, is um, that, that essentially they put their money where their mouth is, right? I mean, I, 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 get to, I, I have the privilege of traveling around the country and speaking at churches and interacting with pastors and, and, and hearing kind of the structure of strategies behind what they do. I've not met a church that has said, hey, if you want to start a ministry in our church, we won't just like, we're not just gonna say, yes, that's okay, but we will also empower you with funds up to $3,500 a year for you to get something started and get going. Because we really do believe that if God puts something on your heart and on your mind, he's asking you to do that. There's a reason he's put that on your heart and mind. See, for far too long, people have shown up to church and, and they've had this moment where that Moses has. It's like, that's not right. Somebody's got to do something about that. Pastor, do something about that, right? And this is a different kind of community that says, no, 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 no. God put it on your heart for you to do something about it. He's gifted you with unique gifts and unique passions and unique talents, unique experiences. And he's causing, if you'll ask him, this like it's not right moment to rise up inside of you so that you can do something about that. And, and that's what I love about the, the fact that it was like, hey, yeah, we'll just empower you to do that. You just go ahead. Go ahead and do that. Now, um, you can. You can start an outpost. You can join an outpost. Um, but if you want to start an outpost, this grant funding is available to you to do that. And it might mean that this ministry that you start or whatever it is, it like blows up into this full-fledged 501c3. That's fine. Like you might have that kind of heart and desire, and we've got several of those. Uh, TSM, uh, the significant marriage, you just saw um, kind of an advertisement about that that's coming up. I promise you, by the way, Christy and I went through this. And if you're a couple, you're a married couple, you're looking to get married, this is a fantastic way for you as a couple to figure out what your purpose is together in this world. It's unbelievable. I would highly suggest checking that out. But theirs is like a full-fledged 501c3. I mean, they like do all of this stuff. They're around the world and stuff. But then we have outposts that are like, hey, we just are a group of people that we want to go and serve the homeless together. We want to go and just like meet this particular need. It doesn't matter the scale. It doesn't matter. Across the gamut, you can be a part of this. In fact, I believe you won't step into the flow of fulfillment until you step into some kind of mission or purpose, whether it's here, somewhere else, in whatever form or fashion it is. Now, we've talked about how this is like hardwired into our identity. We've talked about how like this is, unfortunately, the state of most people is inactivity. The third thing I want you to write down is the real reason I think many of us balk at this. The real reason I think many of us kind of push back, and that is a feeling of, an, of inadequacy. Fe- feelings of inadequacy. Right? I mean, kind of, kind of when you start thinking about like, hey, you're destined for impact. You can create it. You can make a difference. Many of us are kind of like, ah, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I'm just me. Incidentally, this is the same response that Moses had. Because Moses is backside of the desert. He's just being a shepherd. He's out there. He's tending sheep. And all of a sudden, he sees this, this, this thing. It's, it's this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. 
He's like, is there a barbecue going on? I didn't get the invite. What's happening right now? So he goes up to this mountainside, sees the bush. God begins speaking to him through the bush, which by the way, when you are in a state of inactivity, sometimes God will do some crazy things to get your attention to call you back on mission. Come on. And he starts speaking through this right here, through this bush, and, and he tells him, hey, I have heard the cry of my people, which let me pause for a second before we dive into this. Every single one of our purposes need to be looked at through that lens right there. There are people who are hurting, who are broken, who are lost, who are disenfranchised, who are not living on purpose, and God is calling us to partner with him to help them get back on purpose. This is the narrative of Moses' life, right? His people, he looks at them, he's like, oh no, somebody's gotta do something about this. God hears the cry of the people. He calls and raises up a deliverer to free the people, to reconcile them back to God. Friends, this is every one of our purposes. You are Moses. You have been called to partner with God to bring people back to relationship with him. And Moses is talking with this bush, and God goes, it says, hey, I, I heard the cry of my people of Israel. This is Exodus 3, chapter, or verse 9. And I've also seen the oppression with which, with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I'm calling you, Moses. I'm calling you out. I want you to do this. But Moses said to God, look at this. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Isn't this most of our responses? We can't, like, can't fault Moses because this is how most of us feel, right? Is, is anybody else there? Anybody else have feelings of inadequacy when you're like, man, God wants, to, he wants me to do something significant? Hold on a second. No? You guys are all good? You're perfect? Okay. <laughs> you got, I mean, because now I'm starting to feel a little bit more inadequate right now. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm honest with you, this is where I've been the past few months. Our ministry over 2020 went from us kind of solopreneuring, my wife and I, and coaching people and having a podcast, to we were just planning a retreat that we're going to do in May for all of the people on our staff, and we listed out just about 50 people who are on our staff now across the world, and we're like, oh, crap, and I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I have some experiences in leadership that have caused me to have some insecurities about my ability to lead. And when God's going, hey, Davey, I've called you to do this, I'm going, who, who am I? I can't do this. This is what Moses says. I love how God responds to him. Because what God doesn't do is he doesn't go, hey, buddy, you are awesome. You are so talented. You are so gifted. You're an amazing person, self Talk, positive self-talk, Moses. Keep that in mind. He doesn't say that. He looks at him and he goes, he responds to him with three different things. Exodus 3, chapter 12, he says, but I will be with you. You see that? Moses goes, wait, I can't do this. Who am I? God goes, I'll be with you. Hey, friends, God's presence is greater than you doing anything on your power. You hear me? God's presence is greater than you doing anything on your own power. The reason you and I have feelings of inadequacy is because guess what? We are inadequate. We can't do it. We are fallen. We are broken. And the thing that God calls us to do is way bigger than us. So of course we're going to feel this. And Moses is like, who am I? Well, 
Here's what I love about the seat that I sit in and the ministry that we lead is I get to watch people go, who am I? Look at this thing that's happened in my life. Look at this excuse right here. Look at this reason why I can't partner with God to take back my story. And they go, who am I? And I'm going, it's kind of obvious why you were chosen to do this. Come on, Moses. Moses, you grew up in Pharaoh's household. You have relational equity with Pharaoh. You know their ways. You know how to speak their language. You know their diplomacy. You know how they operate. You're a fantastic negotiator when you sit at the table with Pharaoh right now. Who else would do this? And that's what everyone needs to realize is that God has pulled you out and he has called you out. And while you may have feelings of inadequacy because he's called you to do something that's way bigger than yourself, he is, listen to me, he has designed and orchestrated everything in your past to leverage all of your future. I hate when the church says like, oh, God will never put on you more than you can handle. That doesn't, nowhere in scripture does it say that. It says, you will not be tempted beyond what is common to man. And when you are tempted, there is always a way out. But God always puts on you more than what you can handle. So that you have to be dependent on him. Friends, I don't know about you, but the purpose I want to wake up and live every single day is so big and so far beyond me that I want to operate in this space of dependence that says, God, if you don't show up, if your presence isn't with me, I'm screwed. This thing is not going to happen. I need you to show up because his presence is far greater than what I can do on my own power. So he answers with that. He says, I'll be with you. Moses pushes back. He says, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, then and they ask, well, well, what's his name? Come on, Moses. Like, what's his name? I mean, Moses is pulling every excuse out of the hat right now, right? Like, what's his name? What do, I, what do I say to them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. Now, if I'm Moses, I'm going, you know, thanks, God. You didn't really answer the question. <laughs> you are who? Like, what's your name? You know? And God responds back with, tell him this. I am has sent you. Don't you love how Moses says, who am I? And God reverses it and says, I am. In other words, Moses calls out his insufficiency. God says, no matter what your insufficiency is, I am all sufficient. I have everything you need for whatever I've called you to. If you just depend on me, all you got to do is follow the vision I've put in your heart and provision will follow. Come on, listen. God says, I am. If you... If you, need, if you need help, I'm a helper. If you need healing, I'm a healer. If you need words, I'm a wordsmith. I wrote this bestseller called The Bible. It's amazing, okay? I am. Well, Moses balks at it some more, and he's like, I don't know about this. Hold on a second. Hold on. I don't know. And this is what it says. Moses answered, but what if they don't believe me or listen to my voice? And they say, well, the Lord didn't appear to you. The Lord said to this, and this is what I love. This is his third response. He looks at him and goes, what's in your hand? What do you have? You see, when it comes to us thinking about getting on mission and working and walking in God's purposes, we tend to point out what we don't have, and God wants to remind us of what we do have. What's in your hand? And Moses picks it up, and it's a staff that most scholars believe he used for destructive purposes to kill the Egyptian long ago. And most scholars believe that same staff is the staff he used 
for inactive purposes for 40 years, being a shepherd in the desert. And now God wants to infuse that staff with something different. He wants to infuse it with his power and send Moses on in his purposes. Friends, come on. When you use what God has already put in your hand and you walk in obedience, you use the natural he's already put in your hand, the giftings that he's given you, the experiences that you have. Oh yes, come on. Even the tragic trauma that you've gone through. When you use what God has put in your hand and you walk with God, he infuses the natural with his super and supernatural things happen. Many of you know the story of Moses. He'd throw the staff on the ground and a snake would happen or he'd touch the Nile River with, with the staff and it would turn into blood. All of these supernatural things happen with what he had in his hand. Come on, First, uh, Second Peter tells us this. This is what it says in Second Peter. It says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and goodness. You have what you need. And if you don't have it, you don't need it. If God left it out of you, he didn't think you needed it. And that thing that he left out of you, he might even want to use to cause you to be more dependent on him. Just walk. Just walk. Now, I'm going to invite the band to come up. <clears throat> this last service, I always go over time. And so we're I want to close this with this, but if you have keys, while the band's coming up to help me close, I want, I'd love for you to grab your keys out. Grab your keys out and hold them up for a second. Just hold them up. If you got keys. Hopefully none of these keys are Daihatsu Rocky keys. If they are, our prayer team will be ready to receive you when we're done here. Keys. Let me ask you a question. What's in your hand? Keys. You have the keys to step into the vehicle that God has called you to step into. You have the keys to drive a Tesla life. Now, I'm going to say something, and you're going to think for a second while I say this that I'm a heretic, and I'm going to clear it up, okay? But here's what I want you to understand. Um, God is in control. He's in control of everything. He's sovereign. He's providential. He is in control of all of this. But did you know that God is not always in charge? This is where you're like, uh, Davey, Pastor Josh is not going to ask you to come back and speak here. You're going to have to clear this up for a second. He's not. In fact, we see throughout history many times that in God's sovereignty, he gave charge to others. He handed them the keys. We saw at the very beginning of time in Genesis chapter one, when he gave Adam a purpose, he wove that in as the Imago Dei into humankind and he gave them, he gave them the charge, the keys to operate and partner with him on purpose. Thousands of years later, Jesus walked the earth and in one instance, we see him in Luke chapter four being tempted in the desert by Satan. And he's interacting with Satan and uh, this is what it says in Luke chapter 4. It says, And the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you, this is Satan talking to Jesus, To you I will give all this authority. Wait a minute. What did God tell Adam at the beginning? Hey, um, fill the earth and, and have dominion, have authority over it. Then Satan's telling Jesus, I'm going to give you all the authority of the earth and the glory for look at this, for it has been delivered to me. Hold on. How did Satan get the authority? 
Who delivered it to Satan? Adam and Eve. When they, when they sinned for the very first time and it entered into this world, they handed the keys of authority of charge to Satan. And Satan has been the prince of darkness and the prince of this world all the way up until this point where he's having a conversation with Jesus. And Satan goes, hey, Jesus, I'll give it back to you. You can avoid the cross. You don't have to go through all of that pain and all that shame. You don't have to carry the sin of the world. I'm just gonna give it back to you. All you gotta do is worship me. Thank God Jesus didn't do that, right? What did he do? Well, scripture tells us for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, that he knew the mission and purpose that God had sent him for and built him for, and he walked to that mission and purpose with joy. And on a Friday, he was crucified, slain for the sins of this world. And on a Sunday, he was raised from the dead so that you and I could have forgiveness of sins and freedom from the bondage of sin. But what most people believe happened right there on that, uh, on that Saturday, kind of the in-between period, most scholars believe that Jesus entered into the depths of hell and he snatched the keys back from Satan. Come on. He said, no, you don't have authority, Satan, because I just purchased that authority back from you by going to the cross, and now I have the keys. But what's even crazier is Jesus preemptively told us what he was going to do with those keys. In Matthew chapter 16, he said, I tell you, this is Jesus talking to the disciples. He takes them to Caesarea Philippi so he could charge the church. He says, Peter, I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Who's the church, friends? Who is it? We are. If you're a believer in Christ, if you are a member of the body of Christ, listen, you are a minister of the gospel of Christ. We are the church. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Look at 19. I will give you the what? Keys. Come on, friends. He has snatched the keys back, purchased them from Satan, and he's handed them to you and to me. He has empowered us with the Holy Spirit to live on mission, to walk on mission, to wake up on mission. And whatever we say in partnership with him, friends, come on, as we go, it says heaven also does that, that we are called to partner with him to redeem this world. Come on, when I was in college, we used to go to basketball games. And we used to, in our home stadium, if we were way up, and our visiting team, the visiting team was way down and the game was over, the clock was running out. You know what we used to do? We used to grab our keys, come on, and we'd hold them up, hold your keys up. We'd shake them just like this. You know what we were telling the opposing team? We were saying, hey, listen, you better warm up the bus because the game is over. Come on, I'm not saying it was a nice thing to do, I'm just saying that's what we did. Because we wanted to tell them, listen, you're going to come into our home house. You're going to try to take something from us, but we have defeated you. Clock's running out. We're going to run up the score. You better go warm up the bus because you got no authority here in this house. Come on, I believe as the church begins to get activated, as the church begins to get on mission, as you begin to discover your purpose, it's like keys holding it up in the face of Satan saying, Satan, you better warm up your bus. You better get on the move because you got no authority here. Anxiety has no authority. Depression has no authority. Come on. We are a church on mission. On mission. And he's given you those keys. What are you going to do with them? What are you going to do with them? We're, we're going to respond 
in a moment right here. And um, we're going to sing a song that I think is so appropriate to this moment. It's a song called Available. And, and, and I just wonder if, you know, if you would just make yourself available to God, what he might do in you, through you, with you. And someone stepped in here today and you're like, I'm kind of on my last straw. I'm not even sure I want to live. You're watching online right now and you're like, I'm not, I'm not even sure. I just kind of tuned in. I just wanted to see. And maybe, maybe God's got something for me. I'm telling you, he's got something for you. And I just wonder in these next couple moments if you would just open up your heart and open up your mind and open up your life and say, God, I'm available to it. God, we just ask you right now that you would make it clear to us that you love us, that you have a plan for us, that you have built each one of us on purpose and on mission, and that you have called and invited us to partner with you to make things right in this world. God, as we, just, as we respond in this moment, would you help us to, to know what that is? Give us clarity. Cut through all of the distraction. Cut through all the other voices and speak clearly to us right now. And we give you our lives. We give you our focus. We give you our attention. We give you our worship and our affection. We ask you to meet with us right now. We're available. Do what you want to do. In your name we pray. Amen.